0: And when we read the Christian scriptures, we believe we're doing more than just reading an ancient text. No, we believe that God is actually here, that God is actually speaking to us. So I invite you just to take a moment of quiet, of silence, maybe just to simply say to God, I need to hear from you, just to quiet yourself before God. Isaiah chapter 7. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign from the Lord your God. Make it as deep as the grave or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I won't ask. I won't test the Lord. Then Isaiah said, listen, house of David. Isn't it enough for you to be tiresome for people that you're also tiresome before my God? Therefore, the Lord will give you a sign. The young woman is pregnant and is about to give birth to a son. And she will name him Emmanuel. He will eat butter and honey and learn to reject evil and choose good. Before the boy, boy learns to reject evil and choose good, the land of the two kings you dread will be abandoned.
1: Uh, our second reading comes from Matthew chapter one verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. When Mary, his mother, was engaged to Joseph, before they were married, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, because he didn't want to humiliate her. He decided to call off their engagement quietly. As he he was thinking about this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, "'Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because the child she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit.' She will give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all of this took place so that what the Lord had spoken through the prophet would be fulfilled. Look, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did just as the angel from God commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he didn't have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. Joseph called him Jesus. All right, let's pray. God, we pray that as we gather, the stuff that we talk about, the things that we do, the songs that we sing, wouldn't just stop at the door, but that it would actually shape us and form us into people that are more like your son. That we trust that your word is alive and that it's doing something in us. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Uh, okay, so I don't know how many of you are familiar with the great state of Missouri. Uh, that is where I am from, kind of. Uh, but vacation options in Missouri are extremely limited. And I know that that probably comes as a huge shock. Missouri is known for its mountains Vistas and beaches, Uh, but it's true. Vacationing in Missouri is really difficult. Of course, you could, you know, drive to another state or fly somewhere. Uh, But if you're just trying to get like, you know, away for the weekend, maybe you got a three-day-long weekend. You just want to get away for a little bit. There's not a whole lot for you to do, Uh, except, of course, Branson, Missouri. Uh, Now, I don't know how many of you are familiar with Branson, Missouri. Probably not many, maybe some. Uh, But Branson, Missouri is kind of like if you took Appalachia, the South, put it all together, and then they tried to do their own version of Disney World. Like, that is what Branson, Missouri is, complete with super weird attractions, uh, lots of bluegrass music. And I don't really know what it is, but everyone there seems to be wearing overalls. Uh, So that's Branson, Missouri. And every single year, my parents uh, and my grandparents would take me and my siblings to Branson. uh, And it was always a really, really good time. Except we would go to this one attraction that I absolutely hated. I could not stand it. Uh, It was this weird, like, upside-down house. Uh, They've got them, there's like six or seven of them, actually, throughout the country. There's one in Myrtle Beach, because of course there is. Um, There's one in, like, Gatlinburg, Tennessee or something. But anyway, this house is upside down, and everything inside is meant to be, like, all wacky and zany, and, like, everything's all topsy-turvy. Like, furniture is on the ceiling, light fixtures are on the ground, every hallway is a maze, and all of the, like, employees wear their shirts and outfits, like, either inside out or backwards, right? The whole thing is, like, topsy-turvy and supposed to be crazy. And, right, like, while you're there, it's a great time. It's super fun, but if you're just a little bit bothered, you kind of want to scream because nothing in that place is the way that it's supposed to be. Everything is all like upside down and just wrong. And as a little kid, I absolutely hated it. It ruined all of the fun, like all of the weird art exhibit. I, I just, I couldn't enjoy it because I was like, that person's shirt is inside out. Like that needs to be fixed. And while you're probably not as odd as I was when I was a kid, you can probably understand that sentiment, right? Because something in us wants to see what is wrong be made right. We want to see disorder reordered, right? It's that feeling that you get when somebody just absolutely just blows by you on I-25, like weaving in and out of traffic, 90 miles an hour, right? But this time, the cop actually pulls them over. It's like, yes, justice, right? Finally. Like that is such an amazing feeling because there is something inside of us that wants to see what is wrong be made right. right? Whenever we look at the world around us, that is what we want to see. Right? We see a world that is... Misordered We see a world that is in chaos. All right, we see the wicked prospering and we see bullies winning, and we see the weak being wounded, and we think, like God, would you please do something? Would you please reorder this mess and, and take the disorder and, and make it right again? Like, that is what we want to see. There's something inside of us that wants to see disorder reordered. We want to see what's wrong be made right. In the book of 2 Kings, uh, we are told that the kingdom of Israel was carried away into exile by the Assyrians. Uh, And during their exile, nothing that was supposed to be going well was. Everything right became wrong, and order devolved into chaos. Is see, God had chosen Israel as his people so that they would in turn show all of the world how good it is to have God as your God. But instead of acting as a priestly nation, instead of showing all of the other nations how good it is to have God as your God, Israel became complacent and they actually struggled to maintain their allegiance to God. Israel made concessions with other nations, they they worshipped false gods, and, and they rejected God as their king, and it got so bad that God sent them into exile and banished them from the promised land. And suddenly, instead of being a nation that's like a light to all of the other nations, they found themselves far from home, isolated, and in darkness. Instead of living together as a united people as they were intended, they suddenly found themselves as refugees, and they struggled with their religious and ethnic identity. Instead of worshiping in the temple as they were called to do, they were taken into captivity knowing that if they ever returned, they wouldn't have a temple to worship in. Everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. and Their whole world fell into disorder. But out of the darkness and out of that disorder... Israel's prophet, or one of, a guy named Isaiah, came onto the scene. He'd been a prophet for a really, really long time, and he was actually there when the northern kingdom was taken into captivity by Assyria. And so he would have watched as the Assyrians invaded his land. He would have witnessed them as they laid siege to the city of Samaria for three years, and he would have experienced firsthand the sufferings of his people. But as Israel and then later Judah was was carried off and plunged into darkness and disorder, Isaiah wrote to his fellow Hebrews and actually anticipated the one who would herald the end of their anguish and exile and proclaim salvation. See, God, through Isaiah, promised the Israelites that one day all of the wrong stuff that they were experiencing would be made right. He promised that all of the disorder in the world would one day be reordered and that everything would be well. He promised that one day Emmanuel, God with us, would come down and bring about this great and divine reversal. He promised that unjust power systems would be reordered and that the mighty would be brought low and that the lowly would be exalted. He promised that violence and warfare would be reordered into peace, that that weapons of death and destruction would be remade into tools of life. He promised that sorrow, pain, and grief would be reordered and repurposed into joy and gladness. And as Isaiah wrote out all of these incredible promises to, uh, to Israel from God, he also wrote down In the passage that Katie just read for us, signs for the people of Israel to look out for as they anticipated the one who would come to fulfill all of these promises. And eventually, that's exactly what happened. You see, an angel of the Lord appears to Mary, a virgin, and then later her husband, Joseph, and and the angel tells them that they're going to have a child, and he's going to be called Emmanuel, God with us. And nine months later, Mary gives birth, and they name the child Jesus. And as Jesus grows and eventually begins his ministry on earth, the things that God promised through the prophet Isaiah began to take place. God's divine reversal had begun. Jesus reordered violence and warfare into peace by telling Peter to put his sword down and by walking to the cross in humility. He reordered unjust power systems by honoring children, celebrating and empowering women, and liberating those who found themselves on the outside of society. He he reordered sorrow and pain and grief into joy and gladness by comforting the despairing, healing the afflicted, and raising the dead back to life. And with his death and resurrection, Christ initiated the ultimate reordering of the world's disorder by defeating the powers of sin and death and by inaugurating the kingdom of God here on earth. God kept his promise to Isaiah and to the Israelites. And he kept his promise in Christ. God kept his promise in Christ. And that is why we gather That is why we come here every Sunday at 5 p.m. and enjoy each other's company, take communion, and sing songs. Because in Christ, God has kept his promises and has begun reordering the disorder around us. The Christmas story isn't just like this nice, sweet, nostalgic story. The Christmas story is, is this great and divine reversal where wrongs are made right and disorder is reordered. Now, at this point, right, some of you might feel that the whole like Christmas Advent thing is maybe a little naive, maybe a little too hopeful, and maybe that this sermon is even a little bit patronizing, right? because you have trusted, you have trusted God in the midst of your suffering. You trusted him during your financial situation. You trusted him when your parents were declining. And you trusted him when your friend was dying. And you trusted that he was working to reorder all of the disorder and to make all of the the wrongs right. But nothing has come of it. You trusted in God and you trusted in his promises. But nothing has come of it. And so maybe now the whole Christmas Advent thing feels childish, naive, foolish, in the face of suffering. Maybe it all just kind of seems pointless. In the book of Acts, James and Peter, who were two of the twelve disciples, they were thrown into prison. After some time, Peter is miraculously released from prison by an angel. What was wrong was made right. Disorder was reordered. But James was not released from prison. And James was murdered. And Peter got to live. And honestly, I don't really know what to do with that passage. I don't know why Peter was spared, but James had to die. I don't really understand why, why for one, disorder was reordered, but, but not for the other. I have no idea what to do with that. I'm not going to pretend like I do. I, I have no idea what to do when a family member is diagnosed with disease and despite our faith and our hope and our trust in God, nothing comes of it and they die. I have no idea what to do when my friends experience yet another miscarriage. despite having trusted God, to make all of the wrong stuff right. I have no idea what to do when when we can't get out from underneath our financial struggle and nothing that we've done is working and God seems to be absent and He's not making any of the wrong stuff right. I have no idea what to do or say or think or feel when order devolves into disorder, into chaos, into grief, into death. And, you know, some people would probably say, oh, well, God's ways are beyond our ways. You know, God's bigger than us, and we'll never be able to understand him, and, and you know, he works in his own time. And yes, like, that's true. That's absolutely true. God, God is beyond us, and, and his ways are not our ways. And, and yes, he does work in his own time. But, man, I have found that that does not bring much consolation in the midst of suffering. I don't know why disorder is reordered for some, but not for others. But I do know this. God keeps his promises in Christ. God keeps his promises in Christ. And and one day... Christ is going to come back, and and that which he began during his life, ministry, and death, and resurrection, all that stuff will be made complete. The kingdom of God will break onto the scene in full force, and and the old heaven and the old earth will give way to God's renewed reign. And and not only that, but, but we'll live together with God just like we did in the garden. God keeps his promises in Christ. And one day the disorder of the world will be completely reordered into a new creation. You see, we have in many ways found ourselves in a disordered darkness similar to that of Israel's exile. Everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. Our whole world is in a state of disorder and chaos. And nothing, it seems, is going the way that it's supposed to go. And sometimes, sometimes it's really tough to keep faith. Sometimes it is really hard to keep going. And honestly, sometimes the disordered darkness around us is just too much to bear. But God keeps his promises in Christ. And in the disordered darkness around us, there are yet signs of Christ's renewal. And if we look closely, we can see them. See, God keeps his promises in Christ. And in the disordered darkness around us, there are yet signs of Christ's renewal. And if we look closely, we can see them. So actually, here at Nova, we've we've actually identified five signs of Christ's renewal that that we believe encapsulate God's heart and desire for creation. The first is community. There is an epidemic of loneliness around us. But Jesus calls people out of isolation and into the family of God, the church. The second is beauty. Each of us are drawn to beauty, and Jesus, who is the beautiful one, is the source of all beauty. Thus, wherever beauty is found, Christ is at work. And then justice. We look around and we see so much that is wrong in the world, but through Christ, God is reordering things. Wholeness. In our brokenness and woundedness, Christ is restoring wholeness. He's putting the pieces of our stories together, both individually, but also as a group, as a church, as a people. And finally, worship. All of those other previous signs point to Jesus' work. And to encounter the true God revealed in Christ is actually to be compelled into worship, into adoration, gratitude, and service. See, God keeps His promises in Christ. And in the disordered darkness around us, there are yet signs of Christ's renewal. And if we look carefully, we can see them. And one day these signs will be fulfilled in Christ, and all things will be made new. Let's pray. Hey God, in Genesis 1, your spirit hovered over the chaos of the waters and made them still. So, God, placing our trust in you, we know that you hover over the chaos of our lives as well. You see the disorder. You see the wrongs and, and all the injustice and all the, the stuff that that keeps just being bad. You you see it, God. But we know that you keep your promises and that they are fulfilled in Christ. And so, God, we pray that you would help us to pay attention. We pray that you would help us to look and to listen and to to observe your signs. And that, God, we would be participants as you begin reordering the world. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.